This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Based on shocking true events, the new Hulu original series, Under the Bridge, tells the story of a savage murder in a small town. Starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone, Under the Bridge is now streaming with new episodes Wednesdays only on Hulu. In Showing Up, Michelle Williams plays a sculptor preparing to exhibit her work in a small art gallery, even as her family and friends complicate her life and steal her focus. It's the latest feature from Kelly Reichert, a director known for quiet, intimate films about isolation, alienation, and ultimately, community. This movie is no different. I'm Aisha Harris. And I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about Showing Up on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. Joining us today is film critic and culture journalist Badatri D. Chaudhry. Hey, Badatri. Hello, Aisha. Hello, Glenn. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Showing Up stars Michelle Williams as Lizzie, a Portland, Oregon sculptor who works admin at a local art school. Hong Chow plays Lizzie's landlord, Joe. She's also an artist, and she's experiencing more success than Lizzie is. And she's been neglecting her landlordly duties, including fixing Lizzie's hot water. This only makes the perpetually aggrieved Lizzie even more annoyed, as she's preparing to exhibit her own work and is feeling the pressure. Over the course of the film, Lizzie struggles to navigate her family and her colleagues at the art school, as well as a wounded pigeon she starts looking after for reasons. Showing Up was directed by Kelly Reichert, who co-wrote the movie with John Raymond. It's the fourth collaboration between Reichert and Michelle Williams, who also starred in Reichert's films Wendy and Lucy, Meeks, Cutoff, and Certain Women. Showing Up is in theaters now. Badatri, what'd you think of it? I really enjoyed it. Of course, you know, it nods to a lot of Kelly Reichardt's usual themes of community, of uh, human relationships with elements of nature, friendship, and somehow she brings all of this in a complete departure from the world of First Cow Mm -hmm. into this little art college in Oregon. And I really enjoyed it, especially for the ways it talks about creative collaborations and the process of art making. Yeah, it certainly does. It it is an unusual setting for a film, and it's one that we haven't seen a lot of. What about you, Aisha? What'd you think? One of the things that I really admire about Kelly Reichardt's films is that she really forces the viewer to pay attention. There's an early scene between Lizzie and Jean, who's played by Marion Plunkett, And you see them interacting in the office. Jean says something about having to make copies of flyers or something. And Lizzie looks notably irritated. And she's like, very, very obvious. Like, you're thinking to yourself, oh, man, this is her colleague. Why is she speaking to her like 
like this. Like I would never think to be like this visibly annoyed. And then later on, they have like another conversation and she just says, you know, like, have you talked to dad? And then you realize, oh, this is her mom and she's working with her mom. That is a very Kelly Reichardt thing to do, which is that you're not going to get this exposition or get like this necessarily obvious connection between two characters on screen right away. You're going to have to like sit, listen, feel out how they are interacting with one another, and then slowly but surely in a way that doesn't feel too obvious or hitting you over the head with it, oh, this is their dynamic. This is how they interact with each other. And I really think that this movie does that with all these characters. It lives in this community. It really understands what it means to be a certain kind of artist in a certain kind of location and how it's so small and insular. Everyone knows each other. Everyone like lives within walking distance from one another or, mm-hmm. or a short drive away. And it really feels lived in. Now, there's another thing that Kelly Reichert does, and this is a part of her making you pay attention, which is that there are long stretches of just process, which Uh sometimes can test my patience. I admit this wholeheartedly. And Mm -hmm. I think the opening sequence kind of tells you exactly what you're going to get because it's about four minutes of just like looking at all of these sculptures and these paintings of sculptures. And like there were times where I kind of had to sort of think to myself, okay, is this tedious or is this engaging? And I found myself challenged by the film, but I don't think that's necessarily a flaw of the film. I think it might be just more my sensibilities and what I'm into. But I overall really, really enjoyed this film. I was actually, I'm reminded of a film comment interview that she did around First Cow. And, you know, she edits her own films. She's edited this one as well. And she said something to the effect of slowing down time as a political act. It's kind of stuck with me. And, you know, it's one of those things you sit for the Q&A after a film and then you enjoy the film more. So I think... Hearing her say this, reading her say this really changed the way I look at her films. Again, like, you know, it's a little bit of a cliche, but we watch the finished piece of art in galleries, but, you know, very little of the process uh, comes through. So, I mean, I, I didn't mind it as much. Yeah, I mean, this is a very small film. It's a very smart film. It is so bound up with process that I, I was trying to get a handle on the tone, which I think is kind of... Mm-hmm. I don't want to say flat, but it's impassive, right? It's objective. Because certainly there are ways and ways to look at the world of art. And the low-hanging fruit way to do it is to make fun of it. Like comedians like Kate Berlant and Lena Dunham, who both grew up in that world, you know, uh, they lampoon, because there's a lot to lampoon here, the protectedness. There is certainly privilege here. Mm. There's pretension. And I always eat that stuff up. And again, I'm struggling with this because I want to say it's empathic, but that would suggest it's a lot more warm than this film is. I just think Mm. this film is very naturalistic, very real. And I ended Mm -hmm. up surprised by it, by the choices it made. Now, they were tiny choices and they were tiny surprises, but (laughs) I, I wasn't. I mean, I want to talk about this character of Lizzie. I love that in the year 2023, we can get big expressionistic Michelle Williams, your Fablemans Williams, your Fosse Verdon Williams. Mm. But you can also get this, whatever the hell this is, this Reichert Williams, which is very naturalistic. This character is like, what if a pair of Crocs were a human being? (laughs) (laughs) It's so small and contained. And we all know a Lizzie. That's the thing. We all know someone who takes every slight, every insult, every slap the world gives her and just carries it around with her. And in her brain, she's the voice of reason. Everyone around her just doesn't get it. 
But the knock-on effect of adopting that stance is that she's kind of unpleasant to be around. The, the cynicism that she's using to kind of protect herself manifests as this kind of omnidirectional disdain. Mm. That's my take on her, though, because I've been reading reviews that just describe her as stressed out. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Stressed out is exactly what I would say. Okay. <laughs> to me, really what this story is, and I think what makes this so relatable, even though it is set in the art world, she's just trying to get ready for her big show. This movie takes place over the course of a few days, and like all these just little things keep happening to prevent her from being able to do this. And I can understand when you are anxious about something that means so much to you and that you've worked so hard on. I love the dynamic between her and Joe, the Hong Chao character, because Joe also has a show. She has two shows. <laughs> she has two shows. Just the two shows. And she also happens to be her landlord, yeah. and she hasn't had hot water in weeks. My show's open on Friday. I'll be free to deal with it after that. I have a show, too. You know, I'm just... You're not the only one with a deadline. I know, but I have two shows, which is insane. And so when you add all that stress and the fact that Joe doesn't seem to care about this because she's too focused on her show, I mean, there's a different movie or story here where, like, this is all about competition between two artists and between two women artists. Um, but that's not what it is. It's right. It's really just, like, this is how a lot of artists are. They're focused on their craft and, like, everything else around them becomes less important. And this is about how that affects everyone else around them, the fact that they are so into what they're doing. And so I see Lizzie as a very, for me at least, sympathetic character. Like, I felt bad for her. And I also understood why she was so stressed and annoyed. Because Joe, she's not mean and she's not a bad person, but she is definitely self-absorbed. And it's affecting especially Lizzie. And I get it. When Lizzie kind of takes a stance against her and, and stands up for herself, I was like, yes, this is how I would react. <laughs> Also, what I love is when she confronts her quote-unquote landlord slash friend slash competitor, she does a very petty thing. Mm -hmm. I laughed out loud. And that is that is what classic Reichardt is about for me. But going back to what we were talking about, identifying with Lizzie, I think we've all been Lizzie at some point in our lives where there's a deadline to finish and they're like, people are calling you constantly. You have to get a package or something. So basically this life getting in the way of making art. I like that she has a day job, which is a quote unquote dryer admin job at this art department where she works with her mom, which probably is unpleasant. And, you know, she doesn't seem to like it too much. <laughs> Seems like it. So I like this distinction between how she chooses to make art I wouldn't say as a hobby, but beyond her day job, as opposed to Joe, who does it for a living. Right. Like, you know, th there is that distinction, which I thought was very nicely portrayed and very, you know, again, with a lot of nuance. Yeah, that's exactly what I think the film is trying to capture. And I think it really succeeds. When I realized this was taking place in such a small, tight-knit arts community, I thought back to my own times at like writers' retreats or artist colonies or writing programs or whatever – where you walk into that place and everyone is talented, but everyone is talented in similar ways, which means that everyone is screwed up in similar ways. <laughs> they have the same hangups, the same vulnerabilities, the same insecurities, and you all know that about each other and everybody's buttons are just obvious, you know, because they're your buttons. And 
they're just waiting to be pushed. And all it takes is one person like Lizzie to set off a chain reaction and turn what could be a nurturing place into a very toxic environment of bitter resentments, competitiveness, and grievance. And that's what I thought we were going, but we're not. Because as you both said, Reichert isn't interested in that. She's about the process. That's what all those shots of the people doing the work, just showing up one might say, and doing the work. And what struck me about this film is that everyone around Lizzie, even as she's treating people like crap, everyone around her is so supportive of her and of her work and of each other without an agenda, without a hidden kind of like passive aggressive agenda with real sincerity. Because this movie is about those artists like Lizzie who will never break out, who will always be doing it because they need to create art while nailing down a day job, as you guys say. So you meet these people a lot at writer's colonies and places like that. They live in these tiny enclaves where doing the work is the thing. They work for themselves, for their friends, for their families, and that's the way it's going to be, perpetually on the move, enjoying a kind of fame that is very specific to that community. And that's, that's what I mean about the uniqueness of this setting. Yeah. To your point, Glenn, about the way that there's like a certain kind of filmmaker or comedian who might make fun of the art world and how this is very different. I think for me, what really shines through is the fact that this is a movie that does not romanticize the art world. It doesn't say like, oh, we are living on a higher plane, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But it does clearly love and appreciate it. And that's why we get this very long shot of Lizzie just like assembling two arms on a sculpture <laughs> for like multiple yeah. minutes. And like we don't even see her face. We just see mm-hmm. her hands working with the clay and all of that stuff. That's why we see Andre Benjamin, who plays, a.k.a. Andre 3000, who plays one of the instructors at this college. We see him like commenting on a student's knitted crochet uh, jumpsuit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just like in the most like detail oriented way. And I'm one of those people who still doesn't quite understand art. Like it kind of confounds me and baffles me. And I don't understand how people place value on something versus the other. I will never understand it. But I do think that this comes closest for me as someone who doesn't quite get it to understanding how someone could love to be in that world and how someone could really love to create that sort of thing. And I think that's part of what makes Kelly Records so great. Like First Cow, yeah. so much of that was also about process and that was cooking, which yeah. I actually think is a little bit easier to understand, at least for me. But yeah, when you're when you're going to a movie by her, you are going to get the process and you're going to get an appreciation for the process. Yes. Uh, But I was also very interested in the art that these women make. Of course, the sculptures that Michelle Williams, quote unquote, creates in the film are by this artist called Cynthia Lati. All the art in the film is from Oregon artists who Reichardt is actually friends with. Mm -hmm. But it's so fascinating to see what Lizzie creates. And everybody comments on her use of color, which if you see the way she dresses is like, complete opposite (laughs) but like in her sculptures these women are wearing like bright green stockings and like there's this expression which she and I know it's another cliche of an artist like what you don't get to express in real life you're doing it through these sculptures the activeness of the figures in her sculptures is something that drew me in a lot which is completely opposite what she is in the film and uh, of course showing up for yourself and doing the work but In very subtle ways, I think the women also show up for each other. And like you said, Glenn, in this larger 
art college community, they're constantly showing up for one another, be it in the studio, be it in the show. So I think I like that little touch as well. Yeah. And they do show up for her show, even though, you know, she's shown at that particular gallery before and somebody as they're walking in. (laughs) It's so close to downtown, so it's not a downtown art gallery. <laughs> That's a good line. Um, but yeah, I mean, like uh, we get a scene where Joe is just the more successful artist is, is arranging her her installations or whatever you'd call them, and she sees it through the window of the gallery, and she's she's driving home. She gets a smile. We get that kind of artist who's just experiencing that kind of joy. We see Lizzie, who probably will never experience that type of joy, but she's content in the work. So let's talk about the pigeon. Um, Over the course of the movie, for reasons we won't get into, Lizzie gets stuck caring for this injured pigeon, which she's not happy about because it's one more thing she has to deal with as she's crashing on getting the show ready. So if you want, this pigeon can take on all kinds of symbolic meanings, right? It can Mm. represent her or represent her work or her need to get away. It can be treated in a lot of different ways. And this is one way that the natural world, which is always part of Rickert's work, comes into the film. Here it is with this pigeon. What'd you think of how that worked in the movie? I think it could have been very on the nose and basic with another filmmaker. Uh But I think because it's Rikard, I did not mind the pigeon. <laughs> to quote one character who says this in deadpan in the film, it's a pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It could have been a crow. It could have been a dove. It could have been something other than a pigeon. And I think the fact that it's a pigeon really avoids a lot of symbolism that might come up with a different kind of bird. So I I was into the pigeon. Like, yeah, pigeon was cool. Pigeon was cool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The pigeon presents in kind of the same way that Lizzie presents to the world. You know, they're kind of like gray. (laughs) They just get the work done. Whatever, whatever a pigeon's work is. (laughs) Eating your, eating the food off the ground, you know. (laughs) Just eating breadcrumbs. Well, we want to know what you think about showing up. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. And that brings us to the end of our show. Aisha Harris, Badatri D. Chaudhry, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Clay. This episode was produced by Candice Lim and edited by Mike Katziff. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy. Hello, come in, provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we will see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Stamps.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR.